0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network.
1: Red Sox fans have longed to hear. The Boston Red Sox are world champions.
0: Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. A
2: Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, on, and today I am joined uh, for episode 170 by my co-host this week, Matt Collins of Over the Monster. Matt, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. Um, baseball doesn't seem as close as it actually is, but it's pretty
2: close. Yeah, we're just 12 days out as we're recording this on a Sunday, uh, June July 12th. Um, and uh, on today's episode, we're going to be freestyling a little bit, talking a little bit about what we know has happened so far at camp, which has been sort of coming in in trickles, uh, some details. So we'll talk a little bit about that roster. We're going to hit more on the rotation because that seems to be where a lot of the question marks are for the Red Sox, and you know those question marks will probably persist for for a lot of the year, uh, considering this group is not ideal. Um, And we'll get to all of your listener questions as well. Um, But before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you've been listening to the podcast and enjoying the show, uh, please go on, subscribe to the show, rate and review us uh, on iTunes or anywhere you're listening to this podcast. We always do appreciate that. And I know uh, that, you know, Keaton, Matt, myself, uh, Shelly, Trevor, everybody who podcasts on this network would appreciate that. So we appreciate you. Um, And uh, our Twitter handles. Um, I'm at Dev Jake Matt is at Matt R.Y. Collins and the Over the Monster site is at Over the Monster so check us out there as well so let's get right into it Matt Um, we're going to do this a little bit different this week Uh, we're going to kind of play off your listener questions right off the top because all of them had to do with what we were going to talk about anyways our first one comes from at Con Urban and he said what even is the rotation at this point this is a really interesting question, and uh, one that is not that simple at this point. I think the simplest thing is uh, starting at the top of the rotation with Nathan Eovaldi. And you wrote a piece this week, actually, on why Nathan Eovaldi is the most important player to the Red Sox this year. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because he's really the only one that seems to be locked in and actually performing well.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the, I guess I mean, important can be kind of um, interpreted. Different ways. I mean, there's a fair argument to just say Devers or Bogarts or Martinez just because they're the best players and you need your best players to be good. But Evaldi is, like, the guy that can go. I mean, his range of outcomes is just so huge. Um, and, I mean, we've seen him be outstanding in 2018, which, I mean, I wrote about a little bit in that piece. He's, that season's kind of gotten underrated a little bit from him weirdly because everybody just focuses on the postseason and kind of forgets that he was outstanding in the regular season too Uh, so we've seen him do that over a full season or mostly a full season with Tampa Bay and Boston that year and then we've also obviously seen last year where injuries get the best of him and just even when he's healthy it's just not going well. Um, So he has that huge range of outcomes and he also happens to be in the worst portion of the roster. I mean the rotation is just hot garbage and even more so now with Eduardo Rodriguez testing positive for COVID and I mean like I said last week I feel kind of gross even discussing that in terms of what it means for the roster but unfortunately that's part of what we have to do and I mean we don't know when he's going to be back so as of right now Evaldi is the number one pitcher in the rotation so um, I mean he can be good He can't. I mean he probably shouldn't be the number one pitcher in rotation even at his best but he can be very good so at this point the Red Sox I cannot see the Red Sox having a good season with Ivaldi being bad.
2: No, I can't either. Um, and and I think that if the Red Sox are going to unlock a good season, that requires Eduardo Rodriguez coming back from his illness, uh, being effective, and then Ivaldi also being extremely effective. I have been intrigued, though. You know, looking at Ivaldi's stats over the last few years, even all the way dating back to like twenty thirteen. Uh, Eovaldi, obviously, he's pitched a lot of innings since then, had a lot of injuries, but he's also changed tremendously as a pitcher over that period of time. His swinging strike rate has gone up pretty much every single season, all the way dating back to 2013. It's actually at a pretty healthy, like 10.6% last year, 10.7% in 2018 when he was really good. Um, and, and the thing that kind of uh, intrigues me about him, not only did he look good like me watching his outing on my cell phone uh, in my living room, which actually means nothing. Um, it's encouraging that he look good there. But, you know, the the thing is that he seems to be refining his repertoire of pitches, uh, figuring out what works for him as the years go on, becoming a smarter pitcher. And he's still carrying with him that super elite velocity that he has. Um, he's using his cutter better, I think. Um, there's a lot of things that he, he's doing now that I think he didn't do in his younger days. So he's one of these rare guys that I think, like, you know, maybe as he ages a little bit, he's 30 now, um, This stuff has always been not really the question. The stuff's always been there. It's kind of like how he's used it. And I think that we could see him take that next step forward, and it could look a lot like 2018, like you said.
1: Yeah, well, I, so the Yankees, um, when he was at the Yankees in 15 and 16, they had him stop throwing his cutter. Um, and so he has, he said he's always had that big fastball, but that big fastball is extremely straight. I mean, it's just... Yeah. You, you, he can't like blow that by players anymore. It's not 1972. Um, so he needs that cutter, and he brought that cutter back in 2018, and that was really the difference. And then last year, he was still throwing the cutter, but he wasn't getting the swings on it. Um, his swings on pitches out of the zone went way down last year, and with that, his walk rate went way up. So he's going to find a way... To get batters to chase that cutter again, he's got to start it on the plate a little bit more. That cutter last year would just start just outside, just off the outside corner, and then just go way outside so nobody's swinging at it. Um, right. So, I mean, if he can get that walk rate back down to like two and a half per nine or lower, I'll be very confident in him. But I mean, last year he was almost up at five. So, um, yeah. I mean, the cutter I think is just really the key to his whole repertoire at this point.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that too, and I remember that he was wearing one of those sleeves that measures torque on your arm, the one that Chris Sale was using as well before he started rehabbing, and he kind of found out something that he didn't know before, which was that his cutter, which he thought was causing a lot of the stress on his elbow, was actually not the most stressful pitch that he throws. Um, So I think you could see him be a little bit more confident throwing that offering, knowing that it's not really hurting him to the same degree as maybe he thought he was. Because remember, he's a two-time Tommy John guy as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the other thing that kind of is the elephant in the room with him. I mean, even in a shortened season, I guess injury risk goes down a little bit, but there's still a ton of injury risk with him, and you never know um, if his arm's just going to blow up one of these starts. But, um, I mean, as of right now, like he's, I mean, he's, he looked great in March before the shutdown. He's looked outstanding. Um, since they've come back in camp by all reports. So, I mean, I just remember 2018, that cutter was, I mean, the guy throws a 97-mile-an-hour cutter, whatever it is, 95-mile-an-hour cutter. It's unhittable as long as he's locating it well. So he, he can be, he has the potential to be very, very good.
2: Yeah, he does. And, and sticking on a positive note, I want to move on to the next guy in the rotation here, um, not numerically, but um, Ryan Weber actually has secured a rotation spot uh, for the Red Sox, Um, and he's done that basically by how he's looked um, since the shutdown happened, and then also what he did in the spring. Um, In nine innings in the spring, Weber didn't give up a single run, struck out 11 batters. He's done kind of a lot to show this uh, Red Sox, you know, staff here and Ron Reneke that, like, This guy's ready to go. Um, He doesn't have completely overpowering stuff. He's just kind of like a steady Eddie type pitcher out there. But at this point, like we will take steady in having a game plan, which is something that I'm confident he has. I don't know how good it'll be, but I mean, at this point, like he's a valuable piece in the Red Sox rotation plans. Is he? (laughs) I
1: don't, I don't know about that. I, I think it, well, we're there. You know, like, well, I think it says we're... a lot more about the roster than Ryan Weber. I mean, he he was. I mean, you mentioned those stats; they're very good. But also, there's spring training. Baseball Reference has um, they rate the quality of opponents that pitchers face in spring training, and his average opponent talent wise was between somewhere in between a double A AA and triple A player. So, I mean, I don't really don't know how telling <laughs> those tight, stats yeah. are. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's better than him getting shelled, I guess, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, he's been around for a long time. He's about 30 years old. He's just never been very good. Um, so, he's definitely in the rotation. If I had this roster in front of me, I'd definitely put him in there too, but I'm not swimming in confidence. And, I mean, I wrote about this, I don't know what it was, last week, two weeks ago, um, about piggybacking, but it just, Looking at all these names, all these extremely mediocre names for these last three or four spots, spots depending on how you feel about Martín Perez, I just I don't feel confident in any of them going more than like three or four innings. I would just get like a group of like six or seven guys and just throw them out each out there for like three or four innings at a time and just see if that works. Because I really don't trust. I don't want to have to rely on Ryan Weber going at least five or six innings every five days. That just does not seem like a winning plan.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and and ideally, like Ryan Weber on a good baseball team uh, that is injury and illness free is like your seventh starter, like, you know, depth that you can he's, call yeah, he's on a at AAA. some point. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly the AAA type. Um, if you want to dig into anything favorable from last year in his stats, very low walk rate, uh, under two per nine. Um, and his FIP uh, was actually 420. Uh, his 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 uh fit i should say yeah not his ex-fit but i'm looking at his FIP. um it was 420 last year which i think could be kind of like a best case scenario if you get a four four two zero era out of ryan weber this year i think you're thrilled
1: oh. uh, with that if he can pitch to his fit for sure especially given the run environment last year 420 i don't have the um, numbers in front of me but i would assume that's better than league average
2: yeah, I, I would assume so as well. Um, and, and, and I'm not optimistic that he can do that, but I also think that the plan that you're talking about, about piggybacking guys, is one that's going to be really interesting and one that I, I almost think that uh, Bloom is planning on more than the traditional opener role. Um, because I'm not sure that the Red Sox roster really has that long guy, but they do have a bunch of guys that they could throw out there for multiple innings. Jeffrey Spring has been a guy who's gotten multi-inning starts. Colton Brewer routinely went, like, one to two-plus innings last year. Marcus Walden can do that. Um, Josh Osich can do that. Matt Hall can do that. Chris Mazza can do that. Mike Schuaren can do that. Um, So you you can use a bunch of those guys.
1: Yeah, and you even get down to the younger guys, too. I mean, some of them aren't on the roster, but they still have 10 spots that can be added. But, I mean, you get down to, like, Tanner Houck. Maybe even Brian Mata if you're feeling good about him, Daniel McGrath, Kyle Hart, um, just a way to ease those guys in and maybe let their talent play up a little bit. Um, just I mean they have a they Frank they, they have a terrible group of pitchers, so they gotta yeah. be creative if they're gonna get any bit of value out of it.
2: Yeah, and, and I think um, I was listening to the Sox prospects podcast last week, and um, they made an interesting point too that you know. Some of these guys, like a Marcus Walden, if he goes out and he's pitching well, maybe Renicky lets him go like four to five innings, and then they just option him and get him back here in, in 10 days too. And I think they have a whole group of guys that it would be pretty inter- easy for them to, to use them interchangeably in that way, and it wouldn't drastically affect the roster if they had to disappear for like 10 days at a time I would if they gave them a good outing. I think Walden's well, I a mean,
1: late-inning guy on
2: this team. I agree that Walden is one of the best relievers on the team, but like if he's rolling in a win in a short season, I don't think you mess with that.
1: No, but I just I wouldn't have him out early in a game to begin with personally, especially with and Hernandez and Josh Taylor also testing positive being able to know when they're going to be out. I wouldn't want to waste the, him early in a game. I could see them putting him in that role just personally.
2: If I was in charge, he wouldn't be doing that sure i mean i i totally get that because looking at the setup man i mean we feel good about workman and barnes but i feel terrible about hambry no idea what i'm getting from brazier bryce i don't know he weirdly spring, yeah but... i feel weirdly good about brazier and bryce a little bit i'm up on you've this talked bullpen. yourself into this bullpen yeah I, I
1: totally have i felt a lot better about it if darwins and hernandez and josh taylor are healthy but even with the group now i mean i love workman and barnes and I like Walden and I like Brazier. I like Price. I think they can make something work.
2: Yeah, and, and I think my my overwhelming point here with this bullpen is that like after those back two of Workman and Barnes, you could say that there's probably a second group of Darwinson and Josh Taylor. Um, and I would put Walden in that group. There's kind of a too. lot of you'd put Walden in that group. Yeah, I, I I would put Good Walden in that group. I'm not positive that I would feel confident classifying him in that group talent-wise. He's different um, than them. He is. And if you remember, like, last year, I was a Walden guy. And I've been a Walden guy. I, I believe in what he does. I just... It, you know what I'm saying? It just looks a little bit different Yeah, he's than not, like, the totally overpowered Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah. He's not striking out 12 guys for nine, for sure. Exactly. He, he looks... Honestly, he looks like a starter, a failed starter who's out there pitching well in relief. That's if, what he is. If that yeah. makes any sense, exactly. You know, but like he exactly looks that part. You know, he he doesn't have the overwhelming stuff like you said. Um, but that whole back end, the the bullpen is is going to be playing into this rotation in a big way. Um, I do want to talk about Martin Perez a little bit. A Lefty, uh, twenty nine years old, um, a guy who. I kind of had some hopes for because he was working on a new pitch. I don't know whether he's not been throwing that new pitch or whether he's just still not getting results. But is but the
1: new pitch the cutter from last year?
2: Yeah, the cutter that he started throwing last year, and he started having a bunch of success with it, but he has looked like junk uh, so far early in camp. They were kind of teeing off on him, but also I don't know what he's throwing. I don't know what to make of that. You know, I'm trying not to overreact to it. Yeah, I mean I I'll tell you what,
1: I could care less what he has done in camp, but uh I have zero confidence in my team for us. I just don't think he's very good. I mean, I know that he got that weak contact a lot last year, but he's he's just frankly never been good as a major leaguer. And even with the weak contact last year, it just it didn't work. He doesn't if you're giving up weak contact, you have to at least pair that with a lot of strikeouts or very few walks, because If not, you're just letting a lot of balls in play and you're putting a lot of batters on for free. And when you let a lot of balls in play, I don't care how weak the contact is, you're going to get burned. And that's just what's happened to him his entire career. Um, So I would be
2: thrilled to be wrong, but I have zero hope, pretty much zero hope for Martin Perez. Well, I mean, history is definitely on your side, man. Um, 435 innings over the last three years. He has a 5.21 ERA. Yeah, I mean, if you look at,
1: DRA, which isn't the end-all be-all, but it, if I have to pick one metric, that's probably where I am. Um, he's been below replacement level each of the last five seasons. Um, he's been at least one win below replacement level each of the last four years. Um, he's been uh, 30% worse than league average or at best over the last five years. Um, it's just He just hasn't been good.
2: No, he really hasn't. Um, and I, I think it would be quite a surprise and probably a bit of a stretch to think that this pitch is going to be the thing that drastically changes everything for him. Um, the other, yeah, I mean, just... the,
1: the bit of hope would be that, I mean, sometimes these adjustments, I mean, the pitches, he started throwing it last year. Sometimes this stuff takes a little bit of time and a little bit of tweaking to make work. So, I mean, there's that possibility. If you're trying to hang your hat on something, that's where it would be.
2: Yeah, I just I'm not sure if even the most optimistic person would think that all of a sudden there's going to be a massive change. I think you got
1: to hope for a league average. I mean that would be ideal. That to That'd me that's a ceiling.
2: I mean if Martin Perez pitches to a four, four point four four and a half ERA, we have we have hit the yeah, jackpot. You need to, I
1: think you need to take that and run.
2: Yeah, and and also because he's a volume guy too, which is one of the reasons why why I think they signed him for this. It does look like Brian Johnson, also, uh, with all of the things going on here. A guy who can go multiple innings, a guy who has looked good in the past. I mean, we know the limitations of Brian Johnson's stuff, um, but it does seem like he is likely to be added. Um, He was a non roster invitee, but it does look like he's going to be added to the 40 man.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Yeah, I would assume he makes it. I mean, the thing, just the overwhelming takeaway from all of these guys is just they all give up a lot of contact. And I don't know that the Red Sox defense is good enough to be using that as a strategy. I mean, the Red Sox don't really have a choice at this point. But I mean, the Red Sox defense can be solid, but I don't think it's anything to write home about.
2: Yeah, I think the outfield defense is really good. I'm very confident in the idea of a Benintendi, um, JBJ, Verdugo outfield. I think they'll they'll catch most. I think there's a little
1: bit of an adjustment for Verdugo. Right field at Fenway is bizarre. So there might be a little bit of an adjustment there. But yeah, the outfield I'm not super worried about. It's more the infield.
2: Yeah, it's more the left side of the infield. I think is is my big concern. Are you, are you concerned about second base? Because I think that Peraza, who I expect to play a lot there, uh, and Chavis actually looked okay there. I'm not too concerned about second base. I would assume they're going to shift enough where it's not that huge of a deal. Um, what do you expect from Devers this year defensively? Because I think we all expect this bat to be, you know, Devers level awesome um he had, dude had 90 extra base hits last year but do you think his defense continues to take a step forward no i think
1: we probably saw the best last year i think i mean i think he'll definitely be passable i don't think we're going to be talking about him moving across the diamond or anything but i i think he's a little bit of a below a little bit below average defensively i think that's just where he settles him
2: yeah and he was better if i recall going to his left last year than he was going to his right. So little things like that. I mean, we've seen it happen in the past where um, major league baseball players playing third base specifically um, because it is a position that, you know, with a little bit of positioning and a little bit of studying, you can actually improve yourself quite a bit uh, through that practice. It's not maybe as athletic as a few of the up the middle positions are. Um, I think you have to have quick motions and things like that, and a cannon arm, Endeavor certainly has a cannon arm, but I think there is some reason to expect that as he gets older, as long as he's keeping his body in shape, that he can make maybe incremental improvements over there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I don't think, I think he can stay there for a long time, I just don't think he's going to, I don't see him taking a step. I, last year, I think he was actually a little bit above average, um, so that's why I said I don't think he's going to take a step forward. But I think he'll be fine.
2: Yeah, definitely passable. Um, one other thing. Uh, that, uh, I guess a couple other notes that I want to make as we're kind of running through our camp notes here. Um, Kevin, no, I'm sorry. Su Wei Lin, surprisingly, uh, got a little time at first base. Now, this is interesting because Su Wei Lin is a guy who I feel like this could be the last year that he's with the Red Sox because he's out of options. And also because I think they really want to carry Jonathan arose and I'm not sure what they're going to do in terms of carrying catchers, how many of those they're going to carry. So I think that he could be a potential guy to be DFA'd or waived. Um, I'm not sure which it would be for him. I think it would be DFA'd. DFA'd. Yeah. Um, but is I mean, what are they trying to do here by adding a little bit more versatility to Siwei Lin? Because it does seem like he's played pretty much everywhere on the diamond now. Yeah, I mean, it, just, catcher.
1: it doesn't hurt to be able to play more positions. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all it comes down to. Brock Cole played first base too. And, um, so he's kind of just filling into that role, I would say. Um, and I mean, especially this season with the virus going around, you've got to have plans fg I mean, you've got to have all these crazy backup plans. So you feel like Zue Lin's a guy who is comfortable at any position. You make sure that he's comfortable at any position because you never know where you're going to need to play guys.
2: I wouldn't be shocked if they were able to pass him through waivers either. No, that wouldn't be
1: too shocking to me, although I could also see a team um, take a chance on him. He was a solid hitter not all that long ago, and he is athletic and I mean, he can play, he's, he's, I, he plays all over the place. Like Brock Holt, And he's better defensively than Brock Holt by a pretty significant margin.
2: Yeah, no, he's a great Obviously defender, can't
1: hit though. like Brock Holt, but yeah, defensively he's very, very good.
2: Yeah, I'd feel totally confident with him subbing in at short or second. Uh, even, even center field. Outfield. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, though, we're talking about first baseman. Bobby Dahlbeck has reported to camp. He did have COVID. He's feeling fine now. Um, that is a legitimate option for this season. And I'd be actually, I've kind of changed my tune on Dahlbeck. I think I'd be shocked if we don't see him for substantial time this season.
1: Yeah, the only thing is, I don't know if he's gotten to Fenway yet. Um, I know he was working out at BC, so I don't know if that'll hold back his clock to play an opening day or anything. But yeah, I mean, I don't see why. He wouldn't be the only reason he wouldn't get significant time is if Moreland and Javis both are hitting extremely well.
2: I'm just not sure how much Moreland's got left. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I would expect it. I'm just saying that would be the reason.
2: No, I agree. I totally agree. And I I, kind of think that Moreland is there as much for his leadership as he is for his baseball prowess at this point.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to get a lot of time against righties to start the year. I think he's going to have to play himself out of regular playing time.
2: So you do think he gets more time? Uh, than you think he gets the strong side of that platoon pretty much the whole season?
1: Yeah, I think he's going to put... Well, I think that's the plan, at least. If he scuffles, I think they'll change course fairly quickly. I don't think he's going to have a super long leash. But yeah, I think the plan yeah. would be for him to play something like 85% of the time against righties, and then Chavis will play some second base, splitting time with Peraza against righties, and then when there's a lefty, it would be Chavis and Peraza on that side of the infield.
2: Not- I gotta ask you: With Chavis' struggles against the fastball last year, can you envision a scenario where it's actually Chavis who ends up getting sent down, Bobby Dahlbeck getting called up in his place, and Peraza playing every day at second?
1: Uh, I guess. Um, I'm much higher on Chavis than you are, but yeah. Um, I mean, players have come back from struggling against fastballs. It's not like he's could never recover from that. So I'm not. I'm fairly confident in him being a really solid hitter. I, I've always liked as bat, but yeah, I mean, it's not—it's definitely not impossible. He has the kind of profile that can kind of cave in on itself fairly quickly.
2: Yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried. I've seen him take all back those too. Swings. I mean, let's not let's not act like all no, yeah.
1: He's a big swinging this guy too, and there's absolutely True. no guarantee that those adjustments from last year hold on.
2: Yeah, and, and part of me being more confident in Dahlbeck right now than Chavis might just be the fact that I've seen a lot more Chavis. You know, that that could be it for sure. Um, what I was encouraged by with, with Dahlbeck last year is that he cut his K rates substantially. Um 25.1% in double A, 23.6% in AAA. A. Um, that's good because the average kind of percentage points that we see move up when players reach the big leagues right around five percent. Um, so if he's going to be around a 30% strikeout guy, um, you know, he needs to obviously tap into his power, which we've seen him do in the minor leagues, but also he needs to be able to get to fastballs and breaking balls. And I have noticed in the time that I have watched Bobby Dahlbeck that even though he swings through a lot of stuff, he seems to be able to hit good pitching. Um, so I'm curious, I know you've seen him a few times, um, in Portland as well. What are your thoughts on, on Dahlbeck's chances kind of, to succeed at the big league level with his current approach?
1: Yeah, so I, I didn't see him last year, so it's kind of hard to say that. I saw him, I've seen him a couple times, and I don't really want to judge it because he, I mean, I'll be honest, he was terrible. <laughs> the, every yeah. time I've seen him, he was just, couldn't do anything with breaking balls. But I mean, I think I just saw him on bad days. I certainly haven't seen him enough to pretend I'm any sort of expert um, so I mean people are people have been legitimately encouraged by the adjustments he made last year so I wouldn't totally write him off um, the only sort of counter to that I would make is that we saw the same thing with Mike Chavis the year before and then he right. came back and struggled so um, long term I think I'm I think I'm think more confident in Dahlbeck long term than I am in him coming up right away um, just because for those swing and miss guys that initial adjustment period can be pretty rough and when it's only a 60 game season that initial adjustment period is the entire season pretty much
2: yeah sure is Um, not a lot of time for these guys to work on things and get going but Chavis
1: I mean back to him he if you remember his season last year he was incredible when he first came up the adjustment period came later for him so that could easily happen with Dalbeck too
2: yeah totally yeah could see that Um, We did get another question kind of talking about the short season here. We got a question from Jason Gallagher who says, thoughts on how JBJ could be a real force this year. Considering the hottest hell streak he goes on, a 60-game season could lead to some crazy outlier numbers for him, or he could have three hits the whole season in a cold streak. I stay optimistic. Hashtag JBJ for MVP. Thank you for that question. This is maybe one of the more interesting players. I don't know. I'm going to rank him top five most interesting storylines on the Red Sox because we have seen him have, I believe it was like, what, it was a 33 or 35-game hit streak for Jackie Bradley Jr. Do you remember that, like two years ago? Yeah. Yeah,
1: he's, I mean, he's had a bunch of those. bananas. bananas. Yeah. So, um, a couple weeks ago, I went through everybody on the roster and tried to find their best and worst 60-game stretches of their career. I mean, Bradley was... I don't know. I think Mitch Borlands was actually a little bit more of a difference than his, but, I mean, Bradley was, I have in front of me, his best streak was in 2016. Uh, He had 315, 391, 591, and then his worst streak was in 2014. He had 197, 262, 275. So, I mean, those are obviously just totally different ends of the spectrum. But I just... I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me about Bradley and just, like, that sort of phenomenon in general. I just, I don't, I can't, like, I just don't know how to predict a player other than how I would over a full season. Yeah. Like, I think that Bradley's going to be, I think Bradley's true talent is around, like, a 95 WRC plus in that sort of range. So, I mean, that's what I would expect just because that's who I think he is. Obviously, the error bars are huge. Um, And he could go wildly in any direction. But if I had to pick a number, it would be in that range.
2: Yeah, I'd also lean conservative for him uh, in terms of his numbers because I just don't think he's that good of a hitter. Um, I I guess a broader question that I would have for you is, do you think that pitchers or hitters are going to have the advantage early on kind of getting started again with this shortened season? Because I tend to think that it's going to be pitchers. ...who have the advantage over hitters early on. If
1: you had asked me a couple weeks ago before everyone reported, I would have said um, hitters pretty easily. But, I mean, I'm just straight up wrong about that. Every player that's been asked has said that pitchers are ahead. Pitchers have done a better job than I would have expected with staying ready. uh, During that hiatus, I just didn't really know how a pitcher would have been able to kind of balance things out with their workload. During the hiatus, but apparently they've done very well because every everybody that's been asked on the Red Sox has said that pitchers are way ahead.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know that um, hitters do say that it takes a couple weeks for them to really get their timing, so it might be a little bit harder to replicate for for hitters, especially with uh, no when games. You're working out in cages. I mean, these exactly inter squad inter
1: squad games are something, but it's not even like I mean, it's a step below even spring training.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. There's just not a lot of quality reps going around for hitters. And that could be another factor that you know limits a lot of the younger players for the Red Sox. Uh, it is worth noting, too, with the Red Sox roster, how they haven't added any of the prospects yet. There's still, they're still significant space, it's, and I know yeah. they've talked about adding Downs and Duran and a few of these guys, but when do you expect that to happen? Because time's kind of running out. Uh, this week, I think
1: Pete... Abe, um, I'll try and find it so I have good proper credit, but I'm pretty sure it was Pete Abe, um, said that they were going to meet tomorrow uh, to talk about filling in these last 10 spots. Yeah, Sox will be tomorrow to discuss additions to the 60 man. So they have 50 on there right now. My assumption is that they're they're talking to some free agents, and so they don't want to add like a Tristan Fosses or something only to have to take them off because you can't... You, you can't just you can't. take somebody off you have to put them through yeah. waivers and all that and obviously you don't want to do that with the top prospects so i'm assuming they're talking to the clay buckles of the world and all these fringe starters that are out there um and so once they figure out what will happen with that then i would i would expect by the middle of this week that that 60 man will be full
2: man anything to get a clay Buchholz reference in, huh He's the best starter available on free agency. <laughs> Say what you want about the guy, but he's I mean it's him or Andrew Kashner. You can take your pick. I don't know. We, we did get a listener question from Sox Junkie. who says, now that Arod's return is delayed, is Aaron Sanchez worth the roll of the dice? Not totally sure if he's healthy. He's not. I'd love to see him get a shot. If the Sox could afford him and stay under the luxury tax. Curious to hear your thoughts. Didn't he have shoulder surgery? Yeah, that's the issue with Aaron
1: Sanchez. I would love for the Red Sox to take a shot at Aaron Sanchez. Um, I wrote about free agents, and he was somebody I mentioned, but that would be a longer-term play. He might be able to return for like the last couple weeks of the year. But uh yeah. he's recovering from surgery, so yeah, he's not an option for like right away. So I mean I like
2: shoulder is yeah, talent
1: wise he's better he's obviously better than Buckholz or Cashner. He's just he can't pitch right now.
2: Yeah, I, I have to admit I did listen to um the podcast that you did with Keaton and uh you're you're geeking out pretty hard on um some clay buckholts and what sixty what game clay buckholts could look like. Like you
1: were just talking about Ryan Weber's spring training stats, so I think I get a pass on talking about Clay Buckles actually doing it in the majors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I just, I just love the enthusiasm. I like Clay Buckles. Buckles I'm a, I've always been a Clay Buckles guy. Yeah,
1: hey, you know we he's we nice all have and our guys. He's,
2: he's our he's our
1: moist, damp friend. <laughs> always soaking
2: wet. Yeah, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So next question comes from Jackson Posey and this is a weird one people so buckle up um he says you get a knock at the door it's a door-to-door plunger salesman who bears a striking resemblance to a certain red Sox player which player is doppelganger is most likely to convince you to buy a superfluous plunger i wonder why he picked plunger first of all out of like anything you could sell never had a door-to-door salesman with a plunger but um so
1: we're just going off looks right this has nothing to do with personality just a doppelganger
2: yeah i guess yeah it just looks like who has the most trusting face on this roster or who
1: i mean this is going to sound mean but who do you think has the most experience with a plunger i guess with the that's the way <laughs> i interpreted the question i don't feel super comfortable answering that but that's how i i think that's what he was going for with this question
2: who has the most experience with a plunger see that would not be where my head goes if someone's at my door trying to sell me a plunger my my brain is broken so (laughs) um can can i just get out of the way like who i would not buy a plunger from first of all is heath Embry. like anything that heath Embry tried to sell me i would not buy that's fair i can just doesn't have the face of someone who looks kind and inviting um, so I wouldn't. Pretty harsh, but he's... I don't know that
1: I disagree with it. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, just calling it as it is. Okay, Michael Chavis um, was
1: my thought, just because he's like. But I, was, I can't like separate the personality.
2: Yeah, Michael Chavis does have that. That, he's goofy like that smile. boyish,
1: like that little kid vibe. It's like just a I nice like guy. Um, I mean. Bogart's. Devers, JD Martinez looks like kind of like a professional salesman. He's got he's got like that clean cl- <laughs> clean cut, just like extremely attractive face.
2: Yeah, he looks put together. You know, he's it's a good looking guy. Yeah, um, I I would. It's really hard not to do this with the personality part too. Like you said, but Devers's face is just so enthusiastic. I feel like that's um, what the
1: asker was going for so i was trying to avoid that one but i mean any question like this the answer is always debbie it's just how it goes (laughs) i i I was just trying to avoid the answer that we all know is the only real answer
2: yeah that's fair um (laughs) some guys on this list though that would be just way too intense like you imagine chris sale showing up to your house with a plunger call call the authorities You'd have to. Yeah, very um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just a few guys. Trust causes. Really out of place.
1: He's Twelve <laughs> feet tall. Giant. Yeah. It's
2: just, it's just, I'll buy whatever you want. Just please leave me alone. Don't hurt me. <laughs> I think Workman and Barnes would fall into that category too. Just like big, scary-looking dudes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I would. Uh, I, th- I think i'm i'm much more likely to buy something from an infielder let me just say yeah, that yeah yeah that's
1: uh yeah except for a first baseman because i mean mitch morland's a big guy too
2: yeah yeah you know when it comes to a, an an intimate type item like the plunger i, I want to feel you safe want to have some trust <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> oh man that's where <laughs> we've gotten to with this off season. so um yeah almost over um I guess before we get out of here, we're going to make this one a little bit shorter than usual. But um, do you have any last closing thoughts on anything going on with this roster as we kind of head into the last few days, really? I mean, it's really not that much time. We'll po- podcast one more time before opening day.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. I am still not in the mode that I'm ready for the season. Not even in like a doom and gloom. I don't think it's going to happen. Just I just my brain has not, I don't think, processed that the season's about to start so i have i'm not in that mode yet for whatever reason i think this week i'll probably get into it
2: yeah that's very fair um i have a couple uh baseball drafts i'm still trying to do the fantasy thing um that are coming up towards the uh the end of this upcoming week so i think that'll kind of get me into the the mode again um I'm I'm excited for it to get started, but I'm really scared uh, for for all the health concerns. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, my boyish enthusiasm about having baseball back is uh, probably gonna probably gonna carry me through these yeah. next twelve days. Hey, listen, I don't think they should be playing, but I'm gonna watch every game and I'm gonna enjoy watching it. Yeah, baseball's the best, man. All right, well, thank you again for joining us and tuning in today. Uh, again, you can find us on anywhere you get your podcasts iTunes, Stitcher, anything like that. Please go on, rate, review us, subscribe to us. We do appreciate that. And again, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Matt at Matt R.Y. Collins. You can find me at, at DevJake. Jake. You can find Keaton at The Spoken Keats. And you can find uh, the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. So thanks very much for tuning in, and we'll be with you next week.